Hello and welcome to Thriving in Intersectionality, a podcast created to help you learn from professionals in the workplace who have multiple intersectional identities, from ethnic minorities, veterans transitioning into the workforce, individuals with disabilities, parents, and so many more. My name is Lola Adeyemo. I am the CEO of EQI Mindset and the founder of the nonprofit Immigrants Incorporate Inc. I work with organizations to build inclusive workplaces. This podcast was built to amplify the voices of leaders and immigrants in the corporate workplace and to give insights and guidance so people can move past their barriers and advance in their professional careers. Through interviews and solo episodes, I'm going to examine this global world of work. I know that you can learn a thing or two from my guests who have a range of experiences and stories to share. Join me as we meet new people who are successfully navigating the corporate space. Hello and welcome to the Thriving in Intersectionality podcast. This episode, I am joined by Kirsten Kirchsteiger, PhD, a scientist and an executive coach for ambitious women who want to break through the glass ceiling and enjoy a fulfilling family life, guilt and burnout free. I really love that and it shows in a lot of our conversation. Kirsten credits some of the lessons she has learned on emotional intelligence, EI and leadership to motherhood. And she became a Genos certified EI practitioner and CEC certified executive coach. Leveraging our analytical nature combined with our understanding of individualized solutions, she has created a system for moms to peel back the layers of obligations, expectations, and guilt to build a life they are excited to get up for every single day. Kirsten has been coaching emerging as well as seasoned female leaders to unlock their full potential and prepare them for the next step in their careers while integrating the demands of work and life. In her consulting, she focuses her leadership development specifically on emotional intelligence and the interpersonal sphere. She's passionate about equipping leaders with research-backed, proven tools that make their jobs more enjoyable and impactful, leading to higher performance and improved talent attraction and retention. When Kirsten is not working with clients, you can always find her mountain biking or enjoying the outdoors with her family. And I'm looking forward to sharing this packed and loaded conversation with you. Thank you. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and share. Hi there, ambitious immigrant professionals. This is Lola, your host on the Thriving in Intersectionality podcast. Are you ready to supercharge your career? There are so many layers to doing just that, and that's what we're here for. Join our membership platform today for game-changing career coaching, expert resources and guidance, and get responses in real time to some of the issues and questions that you're going through in the workplace right now. We're not just breaking barriers. We're building bridges to advancement and career success. Visit immigrantsincorporate.org slash membership to sign up today. 
today and let's take your career to new heights. Join the membership platform today. Visit immigrantsincorporate.org slash membership. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Thriving in Intersectionality podcast. I'm going to drive right in and jump into what I know is going to be an amazing conversation with my friend and my guest for today, Kirsten. Hi, Kirsten. Hi, Lola. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. All right. Um, I'm looking forward to diving into some gems with you because you have a very interesting career path. And so let's start from the beginning. If you could take a minute to introduce yourself. When, um, when we talk about identity intersections, um, I like to lead with that because I think it's also good to hear from people. Um, when you think of identity, especially around underrepresentation and groups, uh, what are some of the identity intersections that, um, how would you describe yourself? Yeah, that's an interesting exercise. Um, I've thought about it because I knew that would come. <laughs> um, I'm, well, I identify as a woman, as a mom. Immigrant, yes and no. It came with the territory, right? I was... Um, studying science and so usually you do work abroad and do some you know whatever education or short stints or projects abroad but I never saw myself as a an immigrant in terms of staying in a country right which by now it's been 13 years in the U.S. So maybe it's time to call myself immigrant. <laughs> um, I also identify as, as neurodiverse. I have, or I am, ADHD, which um, I found out through the gift of my kids, right? <laughs> and I'm also identifying as a homeschool mom and lifelong learner, which I think is eventually the thing that actually brought me into entrepreneurship. I love it. I love it. And and that journey to entrepreneurship, I think we'll eventually get there. But um, I wanted to ask, you talk about country. Where were you born? So you were not born in the U.S.? No, I'm from Austria. So Austria. I'm, I'm from Europe um, and have been looking back at my life. It's actually really interesting. I have I left my city at age 18 to study in another city still within as an inside Austria. But. 18 onwards I've not been living at home anymore really and I've been living in the Netherlands um, twice in Spain and then in the U.S. Okay so uh, which one have you spent the longest time with in one spot as far as location the U.S. well country? Well my childhood until 18 in Austria but now in the U.S. yes. Now in the U.S. Oh, okay okay. Well, yeah, that's a lot packed into even just the identity conversation um, introduction that you just talked about, because each of those things by itself, um, how it sort of shapes our journey when we are talking about career path. Um, so tell us a little bit about your career entry, because I know you moved from, you are an entrepreneur right now, but yes. I mean, I don't know if to use past tense when you are a scientist. Because I have a science background as well, and sometimes I feel like I don't want to say I'm a scientist because I'm not a practicing scientist anymore. Right. Um, but it's almost when you go to school and study to be a scientist and you actually practice um, science, does it really ever leave you? <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that's something I struggle with as well. 
when I talk to people, right? Like when I introduce myself, I'm like, I used to be in science <laughs> or I used to be a scientist. But then again, um, we've done the training. There's a certain way of thinking, I think, that doesn't leave us, <laughs> right? Yeah. Even though we apply it to something different now. Um, yeah, I have the same struggle. I, I never know if it's past tense, present tense. It's past or present, yeah. So tell us about, you know, getting, getting to study what you studied. What did you study and how did you make the choice? Okay, so my first choice was really in high school, I, I started being really interested in, in chemistry. And so that's what I studied. I studied chemistry. Um, within Europe, then we have those exchange programs called Erasmus. So I went on, on one of those exchange programs and that kind of set off my interest in living abroad, learning about other cultures while working there or studying there. And then, you know, life happens and one step leads to another. I ended up finishing my studies in chemistry in, in Austria and then deciding to do a postdoctoral, um, my doctorate in Spain. Okay. Um, and I changed from pure chemistry <laughs> to plant molecular biology and biochemistry. Okay. So that's my doctorate in Spain. And then what did I do then? And then, you know, you're in academia. What is the next step is a postdoc. So my postdoc was then in San Diego at UC San Diego. Wow. So you came from um, from Spain? Yes. UC San Diego. Okay. Yes. How was, um, how was your program? How was that transition? Did you have a lot of people from uh, Spain? There's a different parts to this. I mean, the transition of, for continuing research was not so difficult per se. Labs are international traditionally, right? There's a lot of postdocs from all over the place. So our lab in the U.S. was very international. In Spain, it's not exactly the same. There's usually a core. The core is Spanish, and then there's like one person that's from outside. But the way labs function is very, very different. Europe has, generally speaking, smaller labs, very collaborative projects where everybody works towards the common goal. Whereas here in the U.S., what I found and what I struggled most with was that everybody was working on their own project, Everybody was, most people actually had two projects. Sometimes you were competing against the person in your labs. And of course you were competing for resources, um, money, attention, time, right? Um, so in, in that sense, it was a very different experience. And when I think back to Europe, um, in in terms of language, I was not, fluent in Spanish when I started there. However, people speak all the time, right? It's a small lab. You talk to people all the time. You have lunch together. You have breakfast together. Um, so you catch up on language really, really quickly. And when I came here, the experience was very different. People would eat at their computers, would have earbuds, um, headphones on, uh, very little interaction sometimes coffee cart sometimes we did happy hours but but yeah it was it was a very different experience culturally for sure I, I, yeah i definitely agree with that the culture culture in in um workplaces is a little different <laughs> in the u.s from where i grew up in nigeria as well um so tell us about your career path 
to what you are doing now and then um, I think you can kind of end by telling us what you currently do uh, but I want to tell, tell us explain to us how you moved from that postdoc uh, to here partially the experience that I had also to be really really honest I was not super excited about my project anymore it wasn't really going any very exciting but also my husband and I then started thinking about having a family so that's that's that came into the intersection of how am I going to pursue my career? Um, academia was not my first choice anymore. So we started a family. I went back to work. I finished my postdoc. It's a five-year appointment here. Um, so I finished that. But then um, because we are immigrants, both my husband and I, my visa was a student visa. And what is it called? research associate, research visa, like the J1, right? And my husband was J2. So by the time my, my appointment f finished, we his company had filed an H1B for him, which made me an H4. All that to say is that I was not allowed to work for a couple of years until we got our green card, oh. right? So that gave me time, one, to be with my son, and I actually had a second one, in the meantime, so it was time to concentrate a little more on family, but also, you know, to, to reconsider what I wanted to do. And during my postdoc, I had already, you know, put out my feelers of what I wanted to do. I started volunteering for um, Avis San Diego, so the Association for Women in Science, to learn more about different opportunities but also to, you know, to add different skills to my, to my skill set, to my very academic skill set, right? I had the chance to become a co-chair of a committee and then board member at large. Um, so I, I leaned into leadership roles a little bit. I was trying to figure out where I wanted to go. I studied um, UC San Diego back then, offered a micro MBA for postdocs because they knew they were, they were, bringing in so many postdocs, but in academia, there was simply not enough space, right, for everybody to learn in academia. So they started to realize that there was a problem with the career funnel, and they needed to, to figure out how to give postdocs different skills. So I took advantage of that. Um, I think by now, like looking back, when I left, they started um, something called a career development plan. I think it's a. I think they call it career development plan for postdocs. So now UC San Diego does that, um, which helps. So I think even if you're a research scholar, you get thirty percent of time. You can study other things to learn other skills that can then be translated towards industry, for example. I did a couple of these things because I knew that I didn't want to continue in academia. And then it was basically a friend of mine who said, you know what, you would be really good as an emotional intelligence practitioner. And then I looked into the training and that's what I did. I became an emotional intelligence practitioner, which is basically doing assessments um, on emotional intelligence. And then holding debriefs about the, which is sort of like coaching already, but I didn't know back then, through those assessments, what people wanted to develop on. Yes, over the years, I, I found that it would be really helpful to add coaching to the whole thing. So it's probably, yeah, it's almost two years ago, I did a certification by the Center for Executive Coaching, 
So I'm an, a certified executive coach. I became now certified through the ICF, the International Coaching Federation. And my goal is to accelerate more women. And for me, it is in STEM because that's how I started. That's where my connections lie. Um, you know, and it's it's just sad that we have so many women actually studying science and tech degrees, but then still dropping out. And the higher we go, the less represented they are. So that's where I want to make a difference, basically. You touched on a couple of things that I was really excited about. First, the, the work that you do is so much of an intersection of a lot of the things that I'm passionate about as well. Um, you know, with a STEM background, I'm really very much interested in changing the numbers for the industry, right? The STEM industry, when we look at the state of talent and leadership, all of those numbers that we see a lot of is not even STEM. Like STEM is below the average, right? Because we're very focused on products um, versus people when we talk about that industry. Um, But I was excited to hear about that program because um, whenever, because I'm on this side, I, I think I come in, contact with a lot of people that are transitioning from academia to industry. And I always feel kind of, you know, a little bit sad, like we need more people doing research. So I'm glad that the the universities, the academic sector is also seeing that there's room enough to prepare people to transition if that's what they choose to do. So it, it makes me feel better that I don't feel like, oh, are we really losing people in droves in academia? Because we need people to be doing research. We need people making discoveries on that side of things, but we also need people um, in the commercial sector who are scientists, right? Who can bring that perspective into um, commercializing products and developing innovative uh, um, drugs uh, for uh, patients. So I'm excited that that transition, that connection is happening. Um, and so I, I want to you know, kind of dive into more of the things that you already talked about that helped you right? If there's anybody that is listening to this now that has a lot of these intersections that you're talking about, you know, is an immigrant going through the transition, is a parent uh, going through that phase where you have to maybe deprioritize career a little bit. Um, You know, we all go through seasons. What are some of the, what are some of the tools that you would say helped you? Uh, I mean, I, I, I love you talking about just volunteering in some of these amazing organizations, which I, I'm also familiar with a couple of them, is how did some of these tools help you and which ones will you recommend for anybody listening today who is also kind of in the same boat that you were um, and, and could use some help right now? Well, I think there's a lot. Um, and there's a lot of different perspectives to look at at the tools, right? Like one one thing is simply what are you looking to do and what are the skills that you need to get there right like do you have any gaps in skills in order to go from point a where you're now to point b the career that you want right Um, so that is a very simple question to ask yourself are there skills that i'm lagging that i need and how can i get them and sometimes volunteering in organizations can fill those gaps. And it doesn't even have to be in science. It doesn't even have to have anything to do with what you're doing. It is really looking at how can I learn something new, apply skills. And and sometimes leadership positions 
they, they're not easy to get, right? And so in, in nonprofits, it's often, there's often enough demand for them to give you a chance. So if, if that is something, for me, it was really an amazing way to start leading people without having an official title, right? Because I think there's, you know, if you're in, a, in an organization and you're a manager of people, then you already have, there's a sort of a little bit of a hierarchy, but actually being able to lead volunteers who are giving their time, who are not, they do not have to respond to you. They do not have to do what you say, right? It, it gives you some, a certain skill, a, a different type of leadership because you have to really rein them along. How can I motivate them? How can I really make them want to do the work? Right. Um, because everybody's giving their free time. Yeah. And I, and I like, yeah, I like the way you describe that because I was reading a research um, article, recent research that just came out. I was reading it last week and talking about the same thing where companies need to separate the managerial position from promotion. Right. It doesn't have to be the same thing because I'm doing very well at my technical job doesn't mean I want to become a people manager. And the way companies are structured right now is you promote people for performance at the individual level. And then a lot of times they struggle because they were not prepared. And sometimes they don't even want to. Sometimes people don't want to lead a team, but you hand it to them as a prize for doing a good job. And so having an opportunity to kind of explore um, in a volunteer position with an organization helps you to understand, do I want to do this yes. uh, in my day job or not? So. Thank you for sharing that. Talking about women, right? When we decide or if we decide to have family and, and again, sometimes it involves taking a step back for a little bit for some time and not advancing your career as fast. Um, you know, you learn different skills as well. I, I definitely feel that being a mom is a leadership position. And, and again, I, I do have, you know, as a leader, you, you kind of have a vision we have a vision for our family. We have a vision of what we want, right? We have values that we that we propagate. Um, and we have common goals. And sometimes we don't have common goals and we have to sit together and figure out how do we take turns on reaching our goals. Mm -hmm. So I often urge women or moms to think about it in, in those terms as well, like in, in career terms, like what have you learned? What skills are you using mm -hmm. while you're, not officially being paid. I love it. Yeah. Most most of the learnings we do and the experiences we gather um as parents definitely applicable for work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and I think I know a lot of people I know um, and it's it's moms and dads um you know they basically they almost study child development, right? They almost add another degree in order to understand the little people that live in their house and, and how to help them develop, right? Yeah. So so I think it's often underestimated how much not only emotional labor goes into it, but also, um, you know, intellectual labor. There's a lot going on when you raise people. When you raise people, you know, even running, managing a home, <laughs> there's so many area aspects of that. Uh, right, that we bring into the workplace and, and some of those skills and practices, we don't connect them naturally. But if we help 
um, I'm hoping, you know, just helping people see that, you know, there's so many skills that you have that is very transferable. And and if I can go back to the to the volunteering experience, um, because I said there's different perspectives, like the, there was the skill one that I said, but also as an immigrant, and I think your audience are mostly um, diverse people from different countries. So it is important also to learn the different systems, to learn, like sometimes it's not easy to figure out which organization is the most beneficial for your cause, right? Like where can you grow a network? Where can you meet people that eventually can help you in your career as well, right? You help them in their cause and they they get to know you, they get to know how you work, how reliable you are, and they can become your sponsors. They can become your mentors. So so I think volunteering for, as an immigrant has been for me the number one um, way to learn about opportunities, to learn about, you know, or to grow my network and to learn about how things work. Because like we said, I mean, even the labs in two different countries, they were run in a very different way. And sometimes you're not aware, right? And then sometimes there's a language barrier too. I've never looked at it from like the lab perspective of uh, how that difference can really become apparent in in that kind of setting because you are closely, you know, you're working closely together in like close proximity to other people. Uh, but the difference in, in cultures, the difference in background can really be visible um, if you switch countries to put yourself in a different lab in another country. So um, I know I have, you know, uh, spoken to quite a number of immigrant women in STEM as well. Um, so, yeah, so let's, you know, let's kind of uh, start or maybe wrap up with the work you currently do now, because I, I think it's you are also addressing this very niched group, uh, but also the, you know, leadership in, in STEM. Right. That's another huge topic and opportunity now. Right. So even where even though we do have a lot of um, uh, we, we do have low representation, uh, but I think there's been a lot of work that has been done now around including in increasing diversity in STEM at the entry point. Um, but that narrowing happens as you go up. Right. So right. almost like two different things. <laughs> so tell us about the work you currently do um, now. And some of the things that, you know, you are finding out that you would want to share with people around, how do I advance to be a leader in, in my space, right? Yeah. So the, the, most of the work that I do is, well, it's, it's kind of two-pronged. One is leadership development. Um, so I teach courses on leadership best practices. Um you know, it, it, it has to do with emotional intelligence because that's that's my favorite topic. We are all humans, so we need to get better at, at working with humans. And um, personality theory, situational leadership, all topics around, you know, giving giving people the tools to be become successful in leadership. And then the second part is the coaching part, which is really often about working through problems that arise through situations people need to have difficult conversations and don't quite know how to frame them so so we in coaching we work through this we work through why is it hard to have those conversations but also sometimes 
how can we have those conversations? You know, what is it exactly you want to say? And then you can, there's different tools again. There's role playing, for example, um, where they can actually practice those conversations. As I said before, the most important part most, most of the times in leadership is not, you know, the vision part and the planning part or the strategy part. It's more about how do I hold a position of leadership when I'm not afraid of damaging relationships, mm. but can actually get people, um, you know, to have the best performance in a way where we all pull the cart in the same direction, fueled by, you know, self-directed, I'm going to say learning again, but it's not learning really. It's it's um, basically motivation, right? Like internal motivation, intrinsic motivation. And so how can I really get the best out of people? How can I recognize who is good for what type of work, like where, where their peaks are and how can I, can I build teams that are functioning in a really smooth and organic way? Those things come up in coaching more for the leaders that already lead people. And then there's there's some people who want to be positioned into leadership, right? Who want who want to move there, and and for them often the, the the issues are, how do I present myself for those opportunities? How do I recognize opportunities? How how can I become the candidate number one in their mind, right? And and that again kind of ties in into identifying their network, identifying mentors and sponsors and working through limiting beliefs right like it is scary it is scary to put yourself out there for a position that you've never done um, especially if it's the first time right um, so so we can get in our own way way too much and I think coaching is is tremendously valuable in that case yeah absolutely and I and I think <clears throat> you know I think about the the work that you're doing the work to build uh, the diversity in leadership in, in STEM, I mean, in any industry, basically some of the things you just mentioned, right? Because it takes you intentionally ac acknowledging that I want to be a leader. I can be a leader. I want to be a leader. How can I get the tools and the resources that I need to get there? Because I think a lot of times people self-eliminate. You kind of think, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not, I'm not leadership type. I'm not cut out for that. I'm just going to stay here. And it does take you acknowledging that you are, you know, we are all, all able to develop. We're all able to get better at it, but that, you know, um, it's not like an exclusive role <laughs> for somebody else. If you desire and you then notice some gaps that you need to work on and it, it's easier to acknowledge it and then address, address your gaps. For sure. And then again, I would say, like you said before, there is definitely people who would like to stay in the technical track, right? Who don't even want to be people leader, right? So I, I think we have to create space and opportunities for each of them. For the people who want to become leaders, I think we don't have a whole lot of good role models yet. I wish and, and I hope with the work that I'm doing that I'm I'm going to help shift culture towards leaders who live a full life outside of work, right? Where it's not only work and you have to work 60 hours to in order to be successful. Right. But rather how do I use 
the time, right? How do I intentionally move an organization forward, the projects, the products, whatever you're, you're in charge of? How can we do this acknowledging that we all have a full life? Right? We are not in times anymore where one person only works and the other person takes care of everything else. Right. Those times have been long gone, but our systems have not changed. So I'm hoping if we can get more leaders with full lives, and that can be moms who have families, it can be dads who have families, it can be caretakers of any any kind, where there's just this acknowledgement that work is not everything. Absolutely. I mean, I remember... I still remember the first time I, I, I listened in on a panel with an executive leader. We shared about taking, um, taking phone calls in his car in the morning because he does school drop-off. And I remembered, I mean, I remember it so well that it still, I mean, this is over 10 years ago. And I remember it so well and it still sticks with him because at that time I didn't have kids. Um, my first child is almost 11 now, right? So if you think about that, Knowing that, oh, it is possible to be at this level, to be a man, and to still be very real about the challenge of, I need to drop off my kid, so I'm having a call. At that time, I used to feel shame about having a call in the car, you know, it's like, oh, it's a crime, you know, you need to be at work at seven o'clock. So that was very real for me. That was visible representation, the type that I'm hoping, you know, with these conversations, we can help people see what's possible. We can help people see that, you know, curating the life you want doesn't have to mean forfeiting something that you want. It's you building it to to fit what you want to do. So um, thank you for sharing that and sharing all of that. I know there's so much more even around parenting while working, while doing the transition, adjusting to a different country. Um, Are there things you want to add before we wrap up? I, I, yeah, I feel like <laughs> there's so much more that I could ask you. We could go on and on, but um, anything but, else you want to share? I mean, I, I've been thinking about your audience and and looking at my life. I'm, I think there's definitely missed opportunities for me because I'm not aware of how the system works, right? Like if if you come from a different country and you start your career here, you do not have your alumni network, right? Mm-hmm. You do yeah. not have those deeper connections that people have. So your name might not be coming up as easily for a promotion as somebody else, or right, like like those recommendations from one company to another, right? Because we lack the deep-rooted ne- network, right? We start from scratch. So I think um, for your audience a good takeaway would be that, right? You have to learn the system and you have to ask a lot of questions. Um, you know, you have to ask, how how does it work? Yeah, one pet peeve of mine is I hate acronyms because <laughs> they just don't make sense to me, right? Until somebody tells me what the acronym stands for, yeah. it's really hard to... So if you talk to people who are not, who have not grown up here, I think it's important in terms of inclusion to be really you know clear and and spell things out um, people can feel really isolated when they don't understand words right. and might be too scared to ask right yeah. so so i think there's there's this this need to be vulnerable enough to ask a lot of questions to learn how things how things work that is so true i mean you're talking about acronyms i mean sometimes even within a single company 
the acronyms will be different depending on what division you are talking to. I'm like, how is somebody supposed to keep track? And and we all fall into it when we get into a comfortable space. Um, we we do fall back on acronyms when we are talking to the people that we are that understand what we are saying. Um, but I do think this is a great place to plug in that this is part of why the Immigrants Incorporates uh, membership platform. And uh, we have a ton of free resources and um, deep engagement as well for immigrant professionals, part of the reason for that space. And the biggest ask when I polled, um, we're 900 plus members now and counting on, on the, the Facebook group. And anybody can look this up if you're listening. It's called Thriving in Intersectionality Immigrants Incorporate um, a Facebook group. If you check on the, the uh, we did a poll last year. And the biggest need was um, social network, right? It's people moving. It doesn't matter if you've worked 10 years at your company, uh, at your country. If you move to a different country, you're like, you don't know anything. You start from scratch. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, starting from scratch. uh, The systems are different. The language are not just in the language, right? You think you can speak English and you are going to be fine. But it's not just about speaking it. There's a lot of undertone. There's a lot of deeper connections that you miss. So um, I, I, I think part of what Christine is talking about is your learning, um, it's up to you. You have to look for ways, look for spaces, look for resources where you can keep learning about the system. Um, because learning within your workplace, you are probably going to be the one of the only in a lot of ways. So that's usually not the best place to do the learning. Find the spaces where you can really build your skill, find, you know, resources, networks, programs, events, um, where you can keep learning. And I I will also add to that, Christine, like be patient. You know, it's it takes a while. <laughs> but I think seeing people that you're not alone, it's not just you, people have that questions through. Um, that's that's the community we're trying to build for ourselves here. It, it's we've lost that deep connection that we have, um, um, but hopefully we can all support each other in community here to build uh, thriving uh, professional careers in whatever industry and field we're in. Yeah, that's that's very. I mean, that's really important. I love that you created that space. Yeah, I, I am excited. I am I am super excited about it. You ready to talk food? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Are you feeding me? No, I'm not feeding you. I wish. Um, but uh, I like to wrap up the sessions with a conversation about food. As mm-hmm. you can imagine, I mean, I my guests are ERG leaders, different identity intersections, immigrant professionals, just people that know that we all have different background and, and perspectives. So I've gotten a lot of recipe here. So I like to end with a final question about food because food brings us all together. <laughs> Even when you live in the same country, you know, your recipe might be very different. So um, if you think about your coworkers, your colleagues, you know, people you work with, if there was a food that you would share with your coworkers that, you know, what would, what would that food or fruit or snack be? And why did you pick that? What's the significance of that food? So as Austrian, I would have to bring a dessert. Okay. We are huge on cakes. Oh, really? (laughs) And desserts. Um, And I think one fun fact is that sometimes we eat dessert as a main dish. So oh, really? <laughs> I don't know if you've if you've heard of Apfelstrudel. 
No. Um, so you can get it at the House of Pacific Relations in the House of Germany. They have it. <laughs> it's basically in San Diego. Yes. Oh, it's okay. an. It's it's sort of like a filo dough, and you 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 put apples on it, nuts, um, raisins, and then you roll it up and you bake it. So it is not a very so our desserts are not very very sweet. Okay. It's basically a dough with apples, okay. and we would eat it with a, a glass of milk, and that sometimes would be our lunch. Ah, okay, that's interesting. I like that. I, you know, the first when you said desserts, I was thinking, oh, you guys like sweets, but then I love the way you said not too sweet. Uh, that's yes, even yeah. better. A lot of our desserts are fruit fruit cakes. Okay. And then, of course, we do have chocolate cakes as well. But yeah. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Thank you so much for sharing that. Do you make that, or do you? Is it something you buy at the the store ready made, or do you buy the recipe, the ingredients? Uh, it's usually homemade. Um, in my house, I have to admit, my husband does it. He learned the recipe, so he does it. Okay. Even though he's not Austrian. Oh, really? Oh, that's yes. so cool. I like that. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for sharing um, your insights with us and thank you for being here today. Thank you for all that you do. I am looking forward to connecting and working some more. And interesting, did I say this actually, that we are both part of a couple of organizations or I've been part of a couple of organizations. So I think um, I got to really connect with you through Athena San Diego mm -hmm. on empowering women in STEM, but we've actually crossed paths through HBA, another organization um, that focuses on women in healthcare sciences. Um, I, I think it, it was STEM peers where we crossed, STEM where peers. we both were on the, on the conference. Oh, yeah, the conference. Yeah, there's, we, I feel like we've had um, our paths have crossed in a couple of the professional organizations. So talking about volunteering and expanding our networks. Yes, that's the way to do it. So thank you so much for all you do. And I am looking forward to, you know, feedback. Uh, please uh, listen, share your feedback, connect. Uh, Christine's details will be on the episode details. And we look forward to following up with you all. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. Thank you for joining me, Lola Adeyemo, for these important conversations about the global world of work. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to share our weekly episodes with your communities and co-workers. For more resources and upcoming events, visit our website, www.thrivinginintersectionality.com and join our LinkedIn group, Thriving in Intersectionality. Additional links and resources are listed in the show notes of this episode. Thank you.